Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here. Bless you. We love the Martinsons. We love this family here. Uh, my family brings their greetings. In fact, uh, yesterday, I think actually the last time we were here, we were here for the ordination service for the elders and how wonderful that was. And then prior to that, I think we were here for baby dedications. And uh, we got to dedicate some, some babies and then also pray for uh, couples that wanted to have babies. And oh, God answers prayers. <laughs> a lot of babies here. So bless you for more. Uh, and then yesterday, my family and I, we, we do family time. And uh, we did a family devotion. And yesterday's devotion was just listening to God on behalf of you. And so uh, all of my kids and my wife, we all heard something. And so I, I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, and some of the themes were actually common here. So one, my youngest daughter, she, she heard, God is going to prosper and grow this family in the Holy Spirit. And it's going to expand. There's going to get more people. And she had this picture of uh, the disciples praying in Acts and the Holy Spirit coming upon them and the Lord adding to their number. And my, my other daughter also heard the same thing, to prosper and expand, that the Lord is going to prosper and expand this family. Uh, my son, he said, uh, he heard this, well done, my good and faithful servants, but it is time to move, move out of the 30 and into the 60-fold reaping. What in the world? <laughs> That's pretty cool. And then my wife, uh, it's time for a retilling of the soil. So actually, that's from the same parable, this idea of the parable of the sower. And depending on the condition of the soil, you will reap 30, 60, or 100-fold. And the reaping has been good here, but the Lord is desiring exponential growth. And so bless the soil here. Um, someone also heard a name. Is there an Addie here by chance? Or someone know an Addie? An Addie? Okay. So we're just practicing, listening. You know an Addie? Uh, well, the, the idea was... Uh, there's going to be addition to Addy. So it's, again, with this idea of increase, uh, expansion, multiplication. And so we just want to bless you with those things, uh, that the Word of God is living and active, and it has power within itself to be fulfilled. And then we also ask God about words of knowledge for healing. And so uh, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, the first time I experienced this, oh, by the way, I, I came with a great friend of mine, Pete. He's from Ekbalo. Just uh, so thankful for him. Love him a lot. I was sharing with Pete this morning. The first time I experienced a word of knowledge, I was on a ministry trip with Kevin Dedman, and he was speaking at this church in Utah, I think. And uh, as I was sitting there, I, all of a sudden I got this pain in my knee, and I, I was like, well, this is so weird. I've never had pain in my knee before. I was like wondering what this was. And all of a sudden, someone comes out to us and says, oh, uh, Kevin wants to have you guys come in, the ministry team come in, and share words of knowledge for healing. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my gosh, this must be a word of knowledge for healing. So I went in there. Uh, they hand me the mic, and I said, does someone in here have pain or problems with their right knee? And this man in the back raises his hand and stands up. Oh, that's me. And I just say, oh, be healed in Jesus' name. And he moves it, and it's, the pain is completely gone. And not only that, my pain is gone too. And so I knew it was a word of knowledge. And so that's one of the ways the Lord speaks to us in terms of word of knowledge. And I just want to encourage you, sometimes you may actually experience a pain that is not yours. That is actually the Lord trying to teach you there's someone around you that needs what you have to release the kingdom inside of you for healing. Another way he does it, he's, he reminds people of 
injuries that they've had in the past or sicknesses. And he says, why am I thinking about this? Well, there might be someone who has that same challenge going on right now. Or uh, I've heard of people that will see an x-ray scan of a body in their mind's eye, and then they'll see a, a part highlighted. And like, like, hey, does someone have this issue right here? And, and people will raise their hand for that. Uh, we have a good friend. Uh, he sees angels, and this seems a little bit cheating to me, but the angel will stand behind certain people and, like, point right there. <laughs> and then he, when he was in college, he would just go up to people and say, hey, do you have, uh, you have an issue with your rib right here? And they're like, how the heck did you know that? And he didn't say there's an angel pointing right there, but... Uh, and he would just pray for them. They would get healed. And that was his ministry. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? And so, but Romans 8, 14, those who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so uh, we can just ask the Holy Spirit, who is our counselor, who guides us into all truth. And this is it's just meant to be fun. Why? Because the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so... Uh, we don't, we don't always hear perfectly. I mean, just look at our kids. We tell them, and they don't always hear perfectly, right? So it's okay if we make mistakes, if we don't, but we're learning, we're growing, all right? So this is, uh, these are some things that we heard yesterday, and uh, if you have one of these conditions or if you're experienced challenge with one of these conditions, just go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, the first one was, uh, this is interesting, restless leg syndrome. Restless leg syndrome, anyone uh, have experience with that or challenge with that right now? Oh, yeah? Okay. Uh, uh, my daughter heard, uh, actually two people in my family heard something with the brain. Uh, they weren't specific. I was like, what's wrong with the brain? Uh, but they just heard brain. Uh, so anyone dealing with uh, issues with the brain? Okay, back there. Um, I heard uh, shoulder or rotator cuff. There's someone, oh, okay, right there. My wife uh, felt pain in her big toe. Anyone has a, all right, there you go, oh, there you go. Um, my son, we were walking yesterday and he felt pain in his, uh, in his like right hip. Does anyone have that? Yeah, right there, okay. Um, and then my daughter also heard uh, fatigue or low energy, people uh, dealing with fatigue or low energy, okay? I mean, you know, the spirit, he says, my words to you are spirit and they are life, right? And how many of you know the spirit never sleeps, never gets tired, and you are spirit. So you are not meant to live in fatigue. In fact, the Holy Spirit is better than any drug, any caffeine, any uh, energy drink. We're meant to live by that fountain of life, all right? And so uh, for those of you who are dealing with that, that is not the Lord's desire. I also heard uh, headaches or migraines. Someone dealing with that? Okay, over there, over there. And then uh, fibromyalgia. That is a demonic thing right there. Okay, fibromyalgia. Okay, um, again, so this, this is just our family just listening to the Lord, and we're practicing, and what that means is uh, it, it doesn't mean that God, if you have a condition that wasn't named, it doesn't mean God's like, I don't care about you. It just means we're practicing learning how to hear from the Lord, and He's highlighting those things to us, okay? And uh, he desires all of his children to walk in the ministry of healing. It's not just for the anointed. Well, actually, it is just for the anointed, but you're all anointed. <laughs> it's not just for the special people, okay? Uh, it's for all of his children. It's an inheritance, okay? In fact, when uh, my wife gave birth to our second child, Abigail, she received an uh, epidural injection in her back. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're huge. They don't even want the husband to see it because they might faint or something. Anyway, uh, 
but after the delivery, she had pain at the injection site in her back for uh, a couple weeks. And so she was laying on the couch in our house, and Isaac, who was about a year and a half at the time, uh, was just walking around, playing, and then my wife says, Isaac, come here, pray for mommy's back. It really hurts. And he just heads over there and says, be healed in Jesus' name, and then goes away. And uh, all of her pain left and never came back. Isn't that amazing? One and a half year old little boy. Why? Because it's an inheritance. It's not a work. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of us, okay? And if you think about it, if you read in the Bible, the disciples, well, first, Jesus never prayed to the Father for healing. He never said, dear God, please heal this. And he taught his disciples how to do that the same way. So if you look in the Bible, the disciples never prayed to the Father for healing. In fact, the temple came beautiful. Peter and John were there, the beggar. And he says, silver and gold I do not have, uh, but what I do have I give to you. All right? Rise up, take up your mat, and walk. What was he saying? Remember Matthew 10, 8, Jesus says, freely you have received, freely you can give. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, okay? So we have freely been given this grace, this authority, this Spirit's power to release healing, and we don't have to beg God. We just release it. We just release it. And it's not a work. It's not striving. It's not effort. It's not how much you clench your fist and raise your voice. It's just the authority that He's given to you as a child of God, okay? Uh, so that's what we're going to do, and we're practicing, all right? Do you know what they call doctors? And I love doctors. My dad is a retired physician. My brother is a physician. My mom used to be a nurse, and so uh, I love doctors. You know what they call them? Practitioners. What does that mean? They're practicing medicine. And you know who they practice on? Us. <laughs> and we have to pay them for it. Isn't that crazy? What a scam. I'm just kidding. Um, but we are healing practitioners that we can actually practice. And you don't have to go to medical school for it because the teacher lives inside of you. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Anyway, okay. Uh, if you had any one of those things uh, that were mentioned, could you just stand? Would you be willing to stand? Okay. Oh, Pete, do you have one? Yeah, why don't you come and share? Do you have a word of knowledge? I, I do now. I just, I guess I got like, if somebody is having a hard time quitting drinking soda, that's all I got. That's a good one. Anyone uh, want to give up the Mountain Dew? Anyway, okay. Well, there you go. Okay, so uh, the people who are sitting down, uh, we bless you as the ministry team. And I want to just encourage you, just find out really quickly what the, the issue is. And just don't pray long prayers. Just release it. You know, what I have, I give to you. And just command that to go away. All right? Bless you to do that.
All right, just have them go ahead and check it out if they're able to test it out uh, to see a difference. For those who are able uh, to test it out right now, has anyone experienced any difference? Uh, here's the thing. One of the great stories that Jesus uh, did uh, that's in the Bible is when he prays for the blind man, and he prays once, and Jesus says, what do you see? He goes, oh, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And I love that he puts that verse in there because it's kind of risky to put that, like, couldn't the Son of Man heal, the Son of God heal on the first try? And I think God allowed that passage, that story, to encourage us. Because if Jesus could pray more than once, it's okay if we pray more than once. And so uh, many times we, we see partial healing. And God doesn't want us to stop or give up. He wants us to continue to persevere. We never, never, ever, ever give up. And... Um, and so for those who experience partial healing, we thank God for what he's doing and continue to pray and press in uh, for the full manifestation of that, okay? Because the alternative, what does the world say? It says, uh, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, right? If I see it, then I'll believe it. What does God say? He says, if you believe it, you will see it. That's what he said to Martha when her brother died. He said, oh, don't, didn't I, don't, don't you know that if you believe, you shall see the glory of God. And so bless you to continue to believe and never give up, okay? Um, okay, but thank you for doing that. I believe there is going to be uh, an increase of the healing miracle in this next season. And it's actually a healing revival that's going to break, break out. And I believe that you are going to be part of it. Okay? You're going to be at the forefront of this healing revival. Okay? But it requires children who believe. Because if you don't believe in it, then it's really difficult for you to participate in it, <laughs> all right? And so may you believe like little children. Um, oh. You know, one of my favorite books now in the Bible is Hebrews. Hebrews. Uh, some people say it's the reason, theological reason why God likes coffee. And uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, the writer of Hebrews says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did for, from his. Right? There is still a Sabbath day rest. In the Passion Translation, Brian Simmons translates it this way. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. There is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And when he says Sabbath rest, he's not talking about a specific day. He's not talking about Sunday. In fact, it's meant to be Saturday. <laughs> but, uh, he's not talking about one day. He's talking about a season that his children, his people, 
have been given a gift. What did he say? The Sabbath wasn't made for me. I don't need it. I made it for you. And he says there still remains a Sabbath rest for people of God to enter in. And I believe that there is a way for the church to step into this place of rest and cease from their striving and labor. And this is going to be a new reformation. You know, we actually celebrated the 502nd anniversary of the first reformation back in October. In 1517, you remember Martin Luther, he posted the 95 theses on the, the door in uh, Wittenberg, outlining the abuses of the Catholic Church. And what had happened? You remember the church was birthed uh, during the, the book of Acts. And Jesus, you remember, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, right? And Jesus says, you are Peter, which means rock, Petros. And on this rock, I will build my church. And what happens later in Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, Peter is the one who stands up, preaches the gospel, and 3,000 are saved that day, which is the birth of the church. So for the Catholic Church, Catholic meaning universal, Peter is considered the first pope or father because he started it. And they believe that there was a progression of fathers or popes since that time. And for 1,500 years that went on, this Catholic system where you had a father overseeing the whole church. But in that 1,500-year period, it diverted from the purity of the gospel. And one of the ways that it diverted was, one, the Bible was in Latin at the time. I don't even know what country you have to go to to speak Latin, but uh, no one knew Latin except the educated, the priests. And so the common people had to rely on the priests for the word of God. And so what happened? They started developing these strange theologies. One of them was selling of indulgences, where you can pay the church to get a slip of paper, an indulgence, to say, oh, you can spend less time in a place called purgatory if you just pay for it. And that's one of the reasons why the church got rich, because, man, if you deceive people into thinking, oh, man, after this life, it's going to be bad unless we pay money to the church to get like a get-out-of-jail-free card, all these people are going to come and pay for it, okay? And Martin Luther realized, wait a second, that's not in the Bible. And so we needed a change. We needed a reformation. So he posted that on there, and... He got kicked out of the church for it. He was excommunicated. And it started a whole movement called the Protestant movement. And it was, the Reformation was so important. And the mere fact that we celebrate it 500 years later is so significant. And, but the thing is, Martin Luther never wanted to start his own movement. He wanted to stay. He was, he was a priest. He wanted to stay in the Catholic Church. But he had no choice, and people started following him. And it was a reformation of one thing, sola fide, by faith alone, right? Ephesians 2 is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. What is a work? A work is I'm going to pay money to the church to receive something in the form of grace. But you can't pay for it. It's not a work. It's just received as a gift. Okay? Sola Scriptura. Sola, uh, sola Fide. Sola Scriptura was the idea. It's by Scripture alone, not by some pope or religious leader. So what did he do? He translated the Bible from Latin into German so that the people could read it for themselves. Isn't that amazing? 
And so what, what a gift that was. But how many of you know, in the history of the Catholic Church in those 1,500 years, there were probably three major divisions, splits. There's the East-West schism and things like that. But what happened when Luther did the Reformation, started the Reformation, it began, ignited a Protestant movement. And that word Protestant comes from the root protest. They were protesting the abuses of the Catholic Church. And so even though the Reformation was needed, it was healthy, it was important, something was attached to that movement that was demonic. What was demonic? The protest. What started happening? People say, started saying, I'm going to follow Luther. Then there was another theologian named Calvin. It's like, I'm going to follow Calvin. And the people who follow Luther were called Lutherans. People who follow Calvin were Calvinists and formed the Presbyterian Church, which I love the Presbyterian Church. That's where I grew up in. And then later on, uh, another revivalist theologian came up named Wesley. And now we have a whole Wesleyan movement, denomination. You know what that sounds like in 1 Corinthians? Paul says, hey, I hear some of you are being divided, saying some follow Paul and some Cephas and some Apollos. Like, is Christ divided? Did I die on the cross for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And so even though the Reformation was good, something bad was attached to it. What does that sound like? Remember Jesus shared that story? <clears throat> In the nighttime, the enemy sowed bad seeds along with the good ones. And when it grew, it grew good wheat, but then it also, there were a lot of these weeds. And people were confused, like, where do these weeds come from? And they're like, should we go and pull up the weeds? And what did Jesus say? No, 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 don't, don't pull them up because in so doing, you might pull up the wheat along with it. Isn't that interesting? So in the midst of the Reformation, which was so good, so needed, so healthy, what formed? Denominations. How many splits did the Catholic Church have? Maybe three or four? How many splits has the Protestant movement had? Thousands. You look at just one denomination, the Baptist denomination, you could have over 30 different Baptists. And God, here's the thing, God loves all the denominations. He loves the Methodists, he loves the Southern Baptists, he especially loves the Presbyterians. <laughs> but he detests the spirit of denominationalism. What does that spirit say? It says, we are gathering around core beliefs. And if you deviate from this core belief, I can no longer have fellowship with you. So either you leave or I leave, but we can't be together because we disagree. How many times has that happened? Just over and over and over again, all over different types of doctrines. So you go to all these different churches, they all believe almost the same thing, but slightly different. And they have slightly different patterns of worship. Say, oh, drums are demonic. <laughs> you can't sprinkle with water. You have to be baptized inside the tank. You know, all these different things. I never understood the, uh, the Catholic tradition of drinking all from the same cup. Oh, man, that's, <laughs> I'm so glad we're not Catholic that way. Um, a lot of people only eat the bread during Catholic communion. <laughs> you know, uh, some traditions, because the blood is, the, the wine is considered sacred, they actually use wine. Because it's considered sacred, 
It transforms into the body and blood of Jesus. They're not allowed to throw it away. So the priest has to drink the remaining wine. Which is why a lot of them develop like uh, alcohol, alcoholism. Isn't that crazy? Along with probably a lot of colds. Anyway. Um, so he's against the spirit of denominationalism. The spirit that says, when we disagree, I can no longer have fellowship with you. Does that sound like something in today's society? That that's going on not just in the church, but in our country overall, that says, wait, you believe that? I cannot associate with you. And that's demonic. Why? Because Jesus desires unity, oneness, or family. And in this season, the Lord is moving people away from denominations to mothers and fathers. Not too long ago in our country's history, you would ask someone, oh, what church do you go to? They would say a denomination. Well, I go to the Baptist church. I go to the First Presbyterian. I go to the Methodist church. Now, people don't even know the difference between these denominations. In fact, the membership in all these mainline denominations have been steadily declining. And what has been increasing? The rise of non-denominational congregations. And it is the Lord's doing because they're not gathering around these beliefs. They're gathering around mothers and fathers, family. And what does the spirit of family say? It says, even though we may disagree on some things, I will not leave you, but we'll work the differences out because we're family. And you are so blessed to have an amazing mother and father here in this house with the Martinsons that the Lord has sent them here and people are being drawn and they're creating family. They obviously have core beliefs, but here's the thing. How many of you are part of your own biological family where you agree with everyone in your family? It's, it's almost impossible, right? How is that possible? But yet you're still family. Why? Because you've learned how to work out your differences, hopefully. That doesn't happen all the time. Some people actually do break up because of differences in belief. But that's not the Lord's desire. And so I bless you to learn how to honor your mother and father in this place where you're not striving for conformity of belief. In one sense you are because we have the mind of Christ, but if for some reason you see something or experience something or hear something that you're like, ah, oh, man, that's so wrong, there is a tendency for people to say, I can no longer be here. But true sons and daughters say, wait a second, I don't have to agree with everything my mother and father says, but I do have to honor. And so I will learn how to submit and honor them even though we may disagree. And this is why I believe people just like they do not have a choice with their biological family or just born into it, I believe we don't really have a choice with our spiritual family. Why? Because the Bible says the Lord puts the lonely into families. And so, especially here in this region, there are so much church hopping that goes around. And what are the reasons for all this church hopping? Well, the sermon's really good here, or the music's not so good there, or the children's ministry is really great here, or, you know, all these different, the parking stinks over there. What, all these different reasons, the people are so fake over there. Whatever it is, 
there's always a reason why people say, I'm not going there anymore. Versus, can we create a culture, a healthy family system that says, wait a second, you're a child of God. Those who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God. Ask the Holy Spirit who your family is. And when he tells you, you put a stake in the ground and say, I'm committed here. Not just to be a member, but to be a son or a daughter. <laughs> anyway. So I bless you, uh, and what, what a gift this place is, because I feel like many of you have already walked that journey, and you've heard from the Lord, and you're learning how to be family and growing together, and I feel like as you solidify around this grace, this is where the expansion is going to come from. It's not going to come from, oh, the worship is great, or the children's ministry is great, or the messages are great. No, no, no. It's going to come from... This is where the Lord called me, and I am committed to loving this family. <laughs> okay. I, I teach at the School of Ministry here, and... Uh, Many times I'll say something and they'll just stare blankly back. <laughs> and I know, I used to be there too. In fact, the first time I heard Bill Johnson about nine years ago at a conference here, I understood maybe 10% of what he said. 90% went over my head. I was like, I have no idea what you're saying. And... What made it even more frustrating is that he would just stand there after he said something in silence and stare at us. I'm like, why are you stopping? I explain what you mean. He would just stand there. Just look. And then keep going. And then the Lord sent us up to Reading. And uh, in two and a half years I spent with him, I, I felt so proud because I could understand maybe 60% of what he says now. Anyway, so there is a Sabbath rest for people. Uh, and I share these things because the Lord has me on a journey, and it's very, very humbling. Uh, I've been in ministry for a long time now, and I was, I was at two megachurches. I was Bethel and H Rock. Uh, we are, my family and I were on staff there, serving there for seven years. We love the alms, our spiritual parents. And, uh, but since the Lord launched us out to do a house church that, you know, church of thousands to, we're in our living room, you know, we're hosting the nations to, we're not advertising Anyway, I'm not inviting anyone to come over. <laughs> uh, the Lord has me in the season of learning directly from him. And it's been so humbling. And <clears throat> it feels like I'm starting over as a Christian, like being born again again. And it's so, when I say humbling, it's so true because I should have learned these things a long time ago, but I didn't. And it's almost as if, like, what religion was I before? And let me give you an example. This idea of Sabbath rest. Think about going all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis. God creates Adam out of the dust of the ground. Okay. Adam, Hebrew, it means man. Adama means ground. So God created Adam from the Adama. And he formed Adam, and he formed him in three parts. He has a physical body, that was the dust, and he has a soul. The soul is the mind, will, and emotions. Okay? Physical body and Soul, mind, will, and emotions. And if you could picture that, Adam was formed out of the dust, laying there. He has a mind, will, and emotions, but he was lifeless. 
Why? Because he still needed the third part of his being, the breath, the ruach of God, the breath that came into God, breathed through his nostrils, and it animated him. He came to life. He's a real boy. And that is our three trifold being. We are body, soul, and spirit. Okay. Interestingly, women are a little bit different. They're not made from dust. They're made from bone. They're made from better material. <laughs> right? Isn't that crazy? My dad, he, you know, he was a surgeon. He told me, God's really smart. I go, what do you mean? He goes, do you know where we get bone grafts from? I'm like, no. He goes, we get it from the rib. I go, why? Because when you get it from the rib, the bone regenerates. Isn't that cool? God knew what he was doing. And, and so uh, men formed from the dirt, women fashioned from the bone. And Chris Valentin would say, this is why men are usually dirty and women are into fashion. Anyway, but uh, women are made from better material. That's, that's so good. Uh, I really like that. I, I see that it is true and that it is good. Um, and he puts Adam in this garden. And we know this story. There's all these trees, but it says you, can't, you shouldn't eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. It says, for in the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And we know this story. He eats of the fruit, being a man. And, uh, you know, there was a cartoon I really love, a comic strip. And two guys are walking in the forest, and they see a sign on a tree that says, illegal to juggle chainsaws. And one guy looks at his friend and he's like, all of a sudden I have this urge to juggle chainsaws. Isn't that crazy? Something inherent in, in humanity that longs to do something they're not supposed to do. So Adam eats of this fruit. And God says, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you surely die. But here's the thing. Adam lived for 900, over 900 years. What happened? I believe that he did die that day. What died? His spirit. So now he was just a physical body with a soul, but no spirit. He was kicked out of the garden. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was confused. He was thinking in the natural, can a man climb up into his mother's womb and be born again? He says, no, no, no. You have to be born of water, baptism, Holy Spirit, and spirit. What is this rebirth? That which was lost in the garden. And that's what happens when you are born again. God resurrected something in you and you became full spirit being. You're a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, Paul says, those who are united with Christ are one spirit together with him. What does that mean? That when you became a believer, God resurrected your spirit and that spirit is now united with him perfectly so that it's his spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living inside of you. You are actually a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 1, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does that mean? There's nothing he's withholding in the spirit realm because he's given it all through his spirit. So some of us were asking God, please give us this, please give us this, please, we, we beg. And he's like, I've given you everything I can. It's living inside of you. The question is, how do we steward that? What do we believe? Okay. 
And this is what he told me just uh, a week ago. I had this dream about education. Here in the West, we have removed the spirit from education. It is now a duality training. Body and soul, mind, will, and emotions. What does that mean? Uh, practically, we've removed prayer, we've removed Bible, Ten Commandments. There's no teaching on the spiritual in schools, public schools I'm talking about, okay? Obviously not TDCA. <laughs> and it's all in the name of separation of church and state. So their approach is just a dual ideology, body and soul. What does that mean? You get your kid's body sitting in that chair, focused, and how do they learn? Through their mind. Lectures, books, reading, exams, study, memorization. And the more effort you put into those endeavors, the better you will succeed in the realm of academia. It's all work. In fact, you can't do it all at school. That's why you need homework. Work at home, too. Okay? God died so that we no longer live off of that system. He died so that we could live by the Spirit. Those who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God. We no longer live according to the flesh, but we live according to the Spirit. Okay? What is education? It is the pursuit of one thing. Anyone know what it is? It's the pursuit of truth. In fact, Harvard's insignia says veritas, right? What is veritas? It's Latin for truth. What is university? Uh, it's an amalgam of two words, unity within diversity. So when you go to university, they have multiple fields of study, like humanities, science, uh, engineering, medicine, all these things, but they're unified together because there's something in all of these disciplines that will lead us to the ultimate truth, okay? That's the hope of education, to guide people into truth. What does the Bible say? Jesus is the truth, the way and the life, okay? He is perfect truth. He knows all things. There's nothing he does not know. In fact, the Spirit says, uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, who can know the mind of God except the Spirit of God? The Spirit, it's a sevenfold Spirit. The sevenfold Spirit is the Spirit of holiness. He's holy. He's the fear of the Lord. He's knowledge. The fear of the Lord is being of knowledge. Knowledge leads to understanding. Understanding helps us to gain counsel. Counsel helps us to gain wisdom and might. Okay? He's the sevenfold spirit of God. There's nothing he does not know. Secular education, you work hard in order to pursue truth. Kingdom, all knowledge, wisdom, revelation, and understanding is in the spirit. I give it to you right now. You know what we have done as a church because we've all grown up in this system is we've taken the methods of learning from the secular realm and applied them to the spiritual. How do you become a good Christian? How do you know God? Well, wake up, get your body sitting in a pew, focus, listen to sermons, Bible studies, read, study, memorize, pray, and fast. And then the more you do that, the more you'll be like Jesus. 
It's all a work. The more you work at it, the better you'll be. I admit that he just shared this to, to me like last week. So uh, I admit this is a little radical. And so I, I share this with great humility. But I believe that we are in the second great reformation right now. And it's similar to the first one. The first one was by faith alone. Why? Because the church deviated from that core, pure message and says, you have to do all these works, then you'll be more holy, then you'll be more righteous, then you'll avoid purgatory. <clears throat> and again, within this past 500 years, the church has somehow turned faith into a work. Did you do your quiet time? Are you tithing? Are you serving? How much are you praying? Did you spend enough time praying today? Did you fast? How often did you fast? How often do you fast? Are you avoiding this? Are you not drinking soda? <laughs> and the more that we can adhere to these works, the more like Jesus we'll be. And you know who that's good for? People who are good workers. You know who it's not good for? People who do not thrive well. Working for all of that. That's why most of the church, or most of the people in this world don't want to come to church. Why? Because they say, I have to start working Working, doing all these things, changing and all these things, not realizing, no, 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 it's just a gift. Everything, what does the Bible say? Paul says, what do we have that was not given to us? We cannot boast. In fact, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so in this system, the more you study, the more you know, the more you know, the more you can teach. The more you teach, the more you can be like, oh, I'm the anointed revelator. You know we're actually in a new covenant? What was the old covenant? The Mosaic covenant, the law, came down with the Ten Commandments and says, meditate on this day and night. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. In fact, keep it close to your heart and your mind. They took that literally. You know what they did? They would write out scripture, put it in a box, and wrap it around their head and their arm. Why? So that the word of God is always on their mind and close to their heart. They're called phylacteries. Some Orthodox Jews still wear that today. Isn't that crazy? And that was the old covenant. Okay. What was that a covenant based on? Body and soul. Why? They did not have the Spirit of God. In the new covenant, which supersedes the old one, the, the Word of God is actually written on our mind and on our hearts. Jeremiah 31. In the new covenant, I will write my law on their hearts and on their minds. And in fact, you won't even have to say to your neighbor, know the Lord, because they will all know the Lord. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> this is what he said to me. He said, any system that is devoid of the spirit becomes a system of control. Any system devoid of the Spirit becomes a system of control. What does that mean? The church without the, uh, the Spirit becomes a community of control. Do this, don't do that, avoid this, pursue that, until we're all 
looking the same. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is thriving, there is prosperity. It's not conformity to the law, it's fullness expression of love. This is why, <clears throat> think about it this way, how do we believe we're a good Christian? How do we grow in our faith? Well, I go to church. I sit there, I sing songs, I give money, and I listen to a sermon, and I take notes, and I try to live by those things, and I'm a good Christian. And people that don't want to pursue that, they're like, well, I don't want any of that. I can't be a good Christian. Jesus died to free us from that system of control and conformity and say, just live by my spirit. What does that mean? Do you realize, <clears throat> this is a little controversial, you don't need anyone to teach you? Why? Because the spirit of the living God, the spirit who knows all things, is living inside of you. And he's supposed to teach you. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit, not led by sermons, Bible studies, and devotions. And so there needs to be a reformation in, this, in the church, the church universal, that somehow we've created a system, again, of works and laws that disempower the believer just to rely on those in authority to empowering the people, the children, once again, to hear for themselves the Spirit of the Lord and flourish. And they become church wherever they go. It's not on a Sunday, not on two hours in the morning, once a week, but everywhere they go because the Spirit of the living God is living inside of them. They're led by it. They can release healing, words of knowledge, prophetic, love. And those who would never step foot into a system of control now are being encountered by the kingdom of God inside of you. <clears throat> I have a friend from seminary, actually, Fuller. I graduated from Fuller. And it's many years ago. After we graduated, he came out as homosexual. And uh, he's been with his partner for 15 years now, as long as I've been married with my wife. And he mentioned to me recently, he's like, I think I want to get married. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, so I was talking to my son. We were up in Bakersfield driving around, and I asked him, my son, this question. I was like, hey, well, what, what do you think if your friend came out as homosexual and he invited you to his wedding? What would you do? And the reason was because I, I was thinking, what if my friend invites me to his wedding? What do I do? Doesn't my attendance at that wedding implicitly communicate an endorsement of his lifestyle? And as a pastor, isn't that wrong? And the Lord was teaching me something. He says, there are no rules in love. And I was like, what? And this all started last May. I was at Mott Auditorium, and I was just talking to him about the religious spirit. And I just jokingly asked, hey, do I have a religious spirit? And God's like, yeah. I was like, what? What are you talking about? I'm so holy. He goes, uh, he goes, you still believe in rules. I was like, don't you believe in rules? What are you talking about? He goes, and I heard this song in my head. It was a secular song. And one of the verses said, the lyrics said, there, you say in love there are no rules. And I was like, what? That was from the 90s or something. And God said, 
there are no rules in love. I was like, okay, you're going to have to teach me because that sounds so blasphemous. And <clears throat> later on in that summer, my son and I are in Bakersfield, and <clears throat> I'm, he goes to me as I'm having this conversation with my son. He goes, you're looking for a rule by which to base your decision to say either it's good to go to this wedding or it's not good to go to this wedding. He goes, if you have a rule, then you have to use that rule to justify your decision and then judge anyone who deviates from that rule. He goes, I already told you there are no rules in love. This is Romans 8.14, those who are children of God are led by my spirit. He goes, to some of my children, I will say, don't go to that wedding. To some of my other children, I will say, you need to go to that wedding. Whatever the highest ideal of love is for that particular situation. I said, that is crazy. <laughs> I go home. On my nightstand is an invitation to my friend's wedding. And I said, thank you, Jesus. You have clarified this for me. But it's a little scary. Why? Because the church is under a system of rules. And if you deviate from those rules, there is punishment. It may not be physical. It could be just emotional, relational. It could be shame or condemnation, whatever it is. And for me, because if I were at a, at a regular church rather than a house church, I would have to toe the company line. I would say, oh, I can't, I can't do that because my church doesn't believe in this and, you know, that's wrong. And it would be improper as a pastor of this church to go there. But he's trying to free me from the system and say, wait a second, you don't have to be concerned of the thoughts of men. You live by the Spirit, and you walk in love. And so, <clears throat> this can be a little bit scary to say that there are no rules in love. We are created to be powerful and free. We are created to live by the Spirit. What is the alternative? the duality system of body and soul, mind, creates control, which is what? Conformity of thought and behavior. Okay. Conformity of thought and behavior. So you take any issue, controversial issue right now, uh, let's, let's just take gender for, some, uh, for example. You look in every realm of society, they are looking to promote conformity of thought and behavior in regards to that issue. What is the issue? Hey, I don't, I'm not the gender to which I'm born to. Gender is a social construct. I can choose my gender. In fact, in New York, you don't have to put the gender of your child on the birth certificate. You could wait until they identify as whatever and then put it on later. So they have an X, right? Male, female, and then X. So that's happening in the medical profession. That's happening in education, just a school here in California. A uh, teacher takes out the student, brings the student back in this uh, a male student brings him back in dressed up as a girl and said oh let me introduce you to this new student that we have and it was just a gender reassignment now a girl and all the kids were confused like wait a second we knew this person before as a boy now he's a girl happening in schools happening in government they're trying to make it illegal to do conversion therapy, which is what they say is if someone has gender confusion, then, and they don't want to have, be confused about it, they want to stay their gender, they want counseling, the government is trying to make it illegal for them to get counseling. 
for gender confusion. It's happening all over. In every realm of society, they're looking for conformity of thought unto behavior. That is life devoid from the spirit, is control. Life in the spirit is freedom based on truth. Okay? And this is what the Lord desires of you. May you be free. May you learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit every day, every moment, to be free. You know, your spirit is perfect. Many of you feel like your mind and your bodies are not. I want to give you a little gift here. When you became a Christian, God supernaturally transformed your entire being. Experientially, that doesn't always seem the case. Why? Because if you weren't very smart when you accepted the Lord, after you accepted the Lord, you probably weren't very smart. If you had an illness when you accepted the Lord, most likely you still had that pain after you accepted the Lord. Okay? There are some instances where people radically get healed of, of learning disorders and they're smarter or they, they get healed of a disease when they accept the Lord, but those are rare cases. For the most part, your spirit is renewed. You're born again. You're a new believer. You're a sinner, no longer a saint. But here's the thing. The truth of the gospel is that not only did he transform and resurrect your spirit, he gave you a new mind. Do you know whose mind it is? The mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2. And he gave you a new body. You know whose body it is? Jesus' body. 1 Corinthians 12. We are the body of Christ. What does it take for us to walk in the fullness of that revelation? Faith. Not a work. It's just a rest. Receive it by grace. In fact, one of the, my favorite songs when I was a young Christian was, Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Right? Have you ever heard that song? And I would sing that over and over and cry out because I had such a horrible heart. Like out of the fullness of the heart, the, the mouth speaks, and I was speaking horrible things, and the good that I wanted to do, I couldn't do, and the bad that I didn't want to do, I wound up doing. And God, give me a new heart. But the truth of the matter, God was sitting up there saying, Son, I've already given you a new heart. That's the new covenant. I will give them a new heart. And it's pure. It's holy. You just have to believe it. And what does he say about people who have pure hearts? Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And so, uh, why don't we stand?